Thank you, Billy, and thank you to all involved in the, the Project Restart team who keep us right with the ever-changing regulations. Uh, it's good to see you here at Kirkpatrick uh, this morning. It's nice to see the sun out uh, for a bit. Uh, I appreciate when it comes out at this time of year, it doesn't make seeing the screen uh, all that easy, uh, but nevertheless, it's good to see the sun here. Uh, it's good to be here at Kirkpatrick this morning to worship God together. For those of us who are physically present in the building, and of course there are folks joining us online. Today is a, an important day in the life of Kirkpatrick as we begin to restart various ministries. As Billy's mentioned, uh, Sunday Club uh, will be restarting at our second service. And I know that lots of our younger folk are keen to meet together in perhaps the way we've been able to do uh, in recent times. They're going to be able to meet for their time of worship together uh, later on. Uh, this morning we're going to be continuing uh, with our uh, studies in the book of Acts uh, entitled God on the Ground and Paul uh, is going to bring us uh, the next installment uh, from that important book. This morning we're also going to celebrate communion uh, together uh, and the Reverend Dr. Jim Campbell is going to lead us in that uh, towards the end of this service. Uh, on your way in you should have been given a little disposable cup containing the bread and the wine. If you haven't got one of those during the course of the service, if you want to put your mask on and make your way out to the foyer and back in again, you can pick one of those up if you didn't get it on the way in. We gather together this morning as a group of God's people to worship him despite all of the difficulties that we face in life. Whether we have difficulties on an individual level or difficulties as a wider society, in spite of all the difficulties, we come this morning as God's people in a spirit of rejoicing. And we do so because of some of the words that we're going to sing together in our first song that remind us as to who this God is that we come to worship. He's a God of perfect love whose mercies to us never cease. He is with, with us through all of our days, and he brings to us the hope of peace. Why would we not rejoice and worship a God like that? We're going to do so in the words of our first song, uh, Come People of the Risen King. Let's sing. As God's people, we have the, the privilege of being able to come into his presence uh, through prayer and to express our adoration to him. So let's do that now uh, collectively. Father, as we come as your people into your holy presence this morning, we recognize the enormous privilege that we have to be able to do so, to come into the presence of the God of all of the universe. Father, we thank you that despite of our sinfulness, because Jesus paid the price that you rightly demanded for the wrongdoing of humankind, we can have that personal relationship with you. And Father, we pause for a moment this morning to reflect on who you are. You are eternal, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You're not confined as we are by constraints of time. 
And Father, we thank you that you are incomprehensible. We might know some things about you, but you are so utterly different from us that you will never be fully known. Father, we praise you for the fact that you are self-existent. You have no origin, for you have always existed. Father, we praise that you are infinite. You are immeasurable, unquantifiable, and unbounded. Father, we praise you for the fact that you are immutable, that you do not change. Yesterday, today, and forever, you will be the same. And Father, we thank you that you are sovereign. There are no limits to your authority to act as and when you choose. Father, when we think of just some of the things about who you are, and we compare you to who we are, we recognize your gratefulness, and our response is one of worship. Father, no wonder that we can sing as we have just sung, that now is the time to worship. Indeed, when we understand truly who you are, we should always be a worshipping people. But Father, we confess that oftentimes we have failed you. Collectively, Father, this morning, we confess our wrongdoing, our sinfulness, whether it's by our words, our deeds, or in our hearts, we have often rejected you. However, Father, we thank you that because of what Jesus did for us, he paid the price for our wrongdoing, that by relying on his works, we can enjoy this personal relationship with you. And for that, we give you thanks. Father, we pray that this morning, our collective act of worship, as your people gathered here, will be an act of worship that is acceptable and one that is pleasing to you. Amen. We're going to sing again in worship, and we're going to sing the song, Cornerstone. Now, I'd mentioned earlier that Paul is going to bring us the next in our studies in the book of Acts. Paul's going to come and do that now. Thank you, Philip, and good morning, everybody. You're getting two sermons for the price of one today. Don't get too excited. Um, our, our first sermon is by Peter, because the, the passage we're reading from Acts today really is the first ever Christian sermon. So I'm going to read that to you now, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit together. But because you're getting two, and this uh, reading is a little bit longer than usual, my sermon is going to be a little bit shorter. You'll maybe be pleased to hear that. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. 
It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence." Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, And we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Well, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to the Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together 
and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen. And thanks be to God for this reading from his word. I could almost stop there, couldn't I? What more do we need to hear today? But I want to begin my reflections in this with with a nursery rhyme that came to me this week. Pussycat, pussycat, where have you been? I've been to London to visit the Queen. Pussycat, pussycat, what did you there? I frightened a little mouse under her chair. The cat goes to London, but it's business as usual, isn't it? It chases the mouse and fails to notice that it's in the presence of royalty. Well, in 2019, my wife went to London to visit a prince. She was spotted in the evening news, in fact, um, because there was a well-known sports figure there at the time. I think you'll see him in this picture here. And you'll see my wife in the background. Here he is, receiving his MBA from Prince William. I'm sure most of you recognize him. Maybe you can't see with the sunshine. He was England captain, the 2018 World Cup. He was the player who scored more goals than any other in that competition. You don't need me to say who it is, I'm sure. I didn't get to go to London with my wife, but when Emma got back that evening, I said to her, well, was there anybody famous there? Who did you see? Nobody special, she said. Really, I said. You didn't see Harry Kane? And I pulled out my phone and showed her this screenshot you see here that my friends had sent me after spotting some familiar curly hair in the background of a tweet. Emma looks at the picture. She looks at me and she says, Who's Harry Kane? The cat goes to London to visit the queen, sees only a mouse. Emma goes to visit a prince. All she sees is some bloke in a beard. Sometimes we can be witness to something truly extraordinary and we totally miss its significance. We come home and we don't have a story to tell. I suspect that's what could have happened on the day of Pentecost had Peter not spoken the words we've just listened to. The crowd in Jerusalem had just witnessed something extraordinary, far more extraordinary than a footballer meeting a prince, They'd just experienced the miracle of God on the ground. And while we read that they did initially recognize that something special had happened, we also heard that very quickly the cynics in the crowd started to spin another story, casting doubt on whether anything in fact special had happened at all. They started to laugh. And they said to the others, what are you so amazed about? Sure, there's nothing special has happened here. These blokes, they're just drunk. Don't pay them a bit of notice. Just get on with your day. That's a a common human response to miracle, isn't it? Our default position is often to explain miracle away, to come up with some rational explanation. And I wonder, is that because it's a safe option? I wonder, is it because the possibility of real miracle is just too frightening for us to think about? Oh yes, we we talk about wanting to experience God. We want God to draw close to us, 
But when that happens, even maybe when it happens as it did on the day of Pentecost, very often, what do we do? We find ourselves trying to reestablish a safe distance. We interpret the outpouring of the Spirit as some drunken shindig rather than what it is, a dramatic encounter with the living God. See, the truth is, it's more comfortable for us to keep God up there and us down here. God on the ground is just far too unsettling for us, far too uncomfortable. If God's on the ground, well, that changes everything you see. If God was really speaking through those men at Pentecost, well, then we're obliged to make a response. We're forced to ask the question they asked, what shall we do? This question that the crowd eventually asks was probably a question that even those who laughed eventually asked after hearing Peter speak. What shall we do? But you know, I'm not sure they would ever have asked that question if it hadn't have been for Peter standing up and speaking out. Because the miracle itself wasn't actually enough. It was the miracle and the message together that cut people to the heart. It was Peter's explanation of what they had experienced that forced them to confront reality, to ask this question, what shall we do? Of course, if you think about it, there was a miracle and a message, but Peter's message was a bit of a miracle in itself. Peter was just a fisherman after all. He was no orator. He was no educated rabbi. And yet, it's Peter who gives the first Christian sermon. And this seems like even more of a miracle when we look at Peter's track record. We know it well. We know that Peter is the disciple who's too afraid even to witness to a slave girl about Jesus. Peter is the disciple who denied Jesus three times. And so it must have surprised even Peter when he stood up and spoke these bold words and heard these words coming from his lips. When he said, people of Jerusalem, listen to me. This is not as you suppose. Have you ever had an experience like that? Have you ever found yourself speaking unexpectedly, out of the blue, with such passion and conviction that you've surprised even yourself? Celia's laughing, I know she has. (laughs) But you know, we shouldn't be surprised at Peter's boldness. Because we know that what's happening here is nothing less than the Spirit at work. As Peter himself explains at the beginning of his sermon, this thing that Jerusalem has just experienced is nothing less than what was spoken about years ago by the prophet Joel. Let me just read the first couple of lines from that prophecy again. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision and your old men will dream dreams. And let me tell you something that we can sometimes forget. Those words that Peter read apply to us today. We're living in those days. God's Spirit was poured out at Pentecost and it hasn't been, he hasn't been poured back since. God's Spirit is alive. He's active in the world. And that means we shouldn't be surprised if he should choose to do a miracle through us too. 
You see, that's the really revolutionary thing about the day of Pentecost. That's what makes the church so different from all that had gone on before. From that day on, God decided to use people of all sorts to speak his words. Before the day of Pentecost, only Jewish men of a certain age were recognized as rabbis, teachers of God's word. But Peter makes clear that this is no longer the case. God will now use the young as well as the old. He will use Gentiles as well as Jews. He will use servants, the lowly, as well as their masters, the the educated, the upper classes. And he will use women as well as men. In the last days, there is no distinction on the basis of age, ethnicity, class, or gender. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And I think if we take this speech by looking at the whole of Acts, we see how radical this sermon is. Because even Peter is a little reluctant to follow through with its implications, isn't he? And in a few weeks' time in our series, we'll see this reluctance of Peter as the Spirit urges him to reach out to the Gentiles. And Peter says, surely not, Lord. Three times as it happens. Peter struggles to keep up with the Spirit, and the Spirit keeps nudging him forward. If we're honest, we still struggle with that today. The General Assembly of our denomination will meet for the first time in a couple of years, I think, next month. And the ministers and elders who will meet there, they'll largely be of one gender, largely men, many of a similar age, almost certainly all of a shared ethnicity. So surely one of our prayers for our church must be that we should not lag behind the Spirit. We must boldly pray for the Spirit's help to work out Peter's sermon, this vision of Joel in our day. Because what is it God says to us? Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit on those days, and they will prophesy. Now, of course, those words, they don't just apply to those in preaching ministry. They apply to all of us. Because God wants every one of us to explain the miracle that we see around us. He wants all of us to surprise even ourselves as we speak out boldly to those outside our church family and say, do you know what? It's not as you suppose. To the skeptic and the doubter out there, this is not wishful thinking as you suppose. To the cynic and the critic, this is not a hoax, as you suppose. To the commentator and the pundit, this is not some dying institution, as you suppose. And to the comfortable Christian, this is not some social club, as you suppose. This is the body of the risen Christ This is the work of God's eternal spirit, alive and active, bringing life to everyone who would call on the name of Jesus. So no, we should not be surprised when the spirit gives us power to speak this truth. And we should not be surprised either when the spirit enables others to hear. That's what happens when Peter speaks. After all, that's the other side of this miracle. The laughter stops. Because the people are cut to the heart by what they hear. They're cut to the heart 
because they can no longer keep the miracle at a distance. They can no longer convince themselves that it was just some drunken spectacle because God has drawn near and they've been forced to face reality. You know, this phrase, cut to the heart, it reminds us, doesn't it, that Christianity is more than some intellectual exercise. It's more than a a philosophy, even a way of life. Christianity is personal. It's something we know in our hearts as much as in our heads. I think children know this better than than most of us adults do. We grown-ups, we're very good at intellectualizing faith. Maybe because it keeps God at a safe distance. It stops things getting too personal, too uncomfortable. But children know otherwise. Um, The other day, our our son Daniel, he turned to Emma and said, did you know, mom, when we do bad things, it hurts God's heart. Daniel knows that following Jesus is personal. It's about our relationship with God. In Peter's sermon, the crowd come to realize that too. They're cut to the heart and they ask, what shall we do? What shall we do? Now that's the question. Because we cannot, we can nod along to a sermon very easily. We can give intellectual assent to it. But if we're serious about following Jesus, there comes a point when all of us need to ask, what shall we do? And it's not an easy question to ask. It's a simple question, but it's a terrifying one. Because by asking this question, we're we're committing to going in a direction other than the one we have chosen for ourselves. By asking this question, we're admitting we're not in charge of our lives. We're admitting what we thought about a few weeks ago in Isaiah, that we don't have only ourselves to thank. That's a hard truth to face up to, isn't it? Because we like to think that we really are in charge, don't we? I was thinking about this as I thought about a poem my my young people used to love when I was an English teacher. I wasn't as fussed on it. It was popular because there was a movie, Invictus. Do you remember that movie about Nelson Mandela and the South African rugby team? And they loved the poem of that name. It was on the syllabus. The last verse goes like this. You probably know it. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Beautiful words, but not true. Jesus is the only true captain of our souls. And that's why this question, what shall we do, is such a serious question to ask. It's a serious question to ask because we can't answer it for ourselves. The answer can only be what Peter tells us. Repent and be baptized. In other words, return to God and then join his community. Join his new people, his family. If you lack the the courage to ask that question today, what shall I do? 
Remember, it's not courage that you need. It's humility. Think of Isaiah. He was able to say, here I am, Lord, send me, only after being undone by God. Only after he had been cut to the heart. You see, it's only in a moment of humility that we can find the courage to ask that simple but terrifying question, what shall we do? But when we ask it, we discover that it opens a life that we never thought possible. A life shared with God and with each other. A life ordered by the Spirit. We get a brief snapshot of that life at the very tail end of our reading. Now, we're gonna, not going to look at those verses today because we're going to be considering verses similar to these in a few weeks' time. But I just draw your attention to them here because they're important. They're important because they're Luke's way of illustrating to us what repentance and baptism lead to. They lead to miracle. That's what we see at the end of this passage. The miracle of God's grace. The miracle of forgiveness. The miracle of reconciliation and restoration. The miracle of life together. And I'm well aware, as I'm sure you all are, that our life together doesn't resemble this beautiful snapshot at the end of Acts 2, does it? But that doesn't mean that Kirkpatrick Memorial or any other congregation for that matter is any less of a miracle. Because however flawed we might be, however much our fellowship might fall short at times or my sermons fall flat, God has done something extraordinary in this place. Because it's in this place that we can come and meet with God. It's in this place that we can hear his words spoken to us, where we can be cut to the heart and where we can have our lives transformed. It's in this place, despite all our feelings, that we can witness to the miracle of God on the ground at work in his church. Where else are we going to find such an odd mix of people gathering week on week together? Where else could you find such a ragtag crew, if you don't mind me calling you that, committing to share life together, however imperfectly we might do it? Because we are imperfect. We're still trying to keep up with the Spirit. But God's working a miracle here nevertheless. The question for you is, do you recognize that miracle here today? The cat went to London to visit the Queen. At the beginning of our service, we sang how we've come to church to meet with the King. So don't leave today without recognizing the miracle. Don't be like my poor wife and come away without a story to tell. Instead, be like Peter. Go out into the world this week and say to others, I was at church today on Sunday. I met with God. And you know what? It's not as you suppose. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ordinary miracles you work among us every day. We thank you for the miracle of forgiveness which you offer to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, cut us to the heart today. Help us not to keep you at a distance. Instead, Lord, grant us the humility to say, Come, Lord Jesus.
And as you draw near to us, Lord, may you also draw us out into the world so that we can share this miracle with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Um, Each uh, Sunday when we meet together, we take the opportunity as a group of people to pray to God uh, and to bring things uh, uh, to him that are on our hearts and are on our minds. God uh, has invited us to do that, and that's a tremendous privilege that we have because we know that prayer makes a difference. Today we're going to pray for our students. Uh, This is the time of year uh, when lots of students either start university or go back to university, and we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for our ministries here in Kirkpatrick. Uh, They've had a a long uh, enforced break, and many are now uh, restarting, and we're going to pray uh, for them, uh, for the leaders, and for the folks who attend uh, those ministries. And then we're going to pray, as we often do, for those who are suffering illness uh, at this particular time, whether that's physical or mental. We're going to pray for them and for those who care uh, for them. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come into your presence and to bring those things that are on our hearts and are on our minds uh, to your feet. Father, we thought earlier about who you are and your greatness, and yet despite all of that, you invite us to, to bring these very ordinary things, but things that are real to us, into your holy presence. And for that, we are grateful. Father, we pray for our students at this particular time of the year. For many, they're starting university for the first time, and for others, they're returning. Father, we recognize that that time of of study brings with it particular challenges, but also particular opportunities. And so we pray for our students uh, during their time of study at university. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen them in their faith as perhaps they're challenged uh, and they have to think through many difficult things. Father, we pray for uh, Christian uh, lecturers and staff at universities who seek to live out their faith in that particular environment. And we also pray for wider student uh, Christian ministries, and we think particularly of IFES and for the work that they do both here on this island uh, and throughout the world. We pray for Monty and the particular role that he plays uh, throughout Europe in encouraging Christian students to live out their faith in that campus setting. And Father, we thank you for the ministries that uh, uh, we have here at Kirkpatrick. We think of the whole variety of those that span all ages, whether for children, for young people, or for those ministries that reach out to adults. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that over the years those ministries have had to reach into lives and to change things for good. Father, we pray for them at this particular time as they seek to to restart with all of the restrictions that are imposed and the difficulties they have in, in working their way through those. We pray, Father, for practical arrangements. We pray, Father, for safety for those who attend those ministries. Father, we thank you for our leaders who have a willingness to give up their time and to engage with others for the good of your kingdom. Father, would you bless our ministries in this incoming season? And then, Father, we pray for all those who are suffering illness at this particular time. 
we think of those who we know who are suffering physical illness. Father, we pray for them. Father, we also pray for those who are suffering mental illness at this time. So many, Father, affected by the pandemic. Father, we pray for them. We pray also, Father, for those who care for them, for their family and their friends who gather around to provide practical support and encouragement. And Father, we also pray for our professional carers, for those uh, medical and nursing and other staff involved in the caring professions. Father, we pray for them at this particular time of challenge uh, that you would strengthen and uphold them. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to bring these things into your presence, and we can rest easy knowing that the sovereign Lord has them. Amen. Just a few announcements. Hopefully by now, everybody who comes on a regular basis is signed up to the weekly email, uh, and you're kept informed of things that are going on in church. If not, contact the church office, and they'll add your name to the, the circulation list. Could I remind you of the importance of booking in uh, to the services each week? Uh, you need to book in uh, um, each week, and you can do that now from 10 o'clock on the Sunday before uh, you would want to be here. Last week, I think there was a wee bit of a glitch uh, with that, but we think that's overcome, uh, and you should be able to book in for the Sunday that you're uh, hoping to be here for uh, a week in advance. Uh, if you got the weekly email, you'll have seen with that that the preaching and teaching schedule uh, for this term was set out there. Um, uh, there's hard copies available in the foyer, so if you haven't got that yet on your way out, you could pick up uh, a copy of that so that you know uh, what's coming up uh, for the term uh, ahead. Uh, we celebrate today the birth of a new member of the church family here. Uh, that is Edison Matthew Fox McGee. Uh, he's a son to Ben and Carly and a brother to Austin, and we congratulate uh, them. Now we're going to get to where Paul wanted us to get to, and we're going to sing together uh, uh, as we're going to sing the song, Here is Love Vast as an Ocean. After we've sung that song, uh, uh, Jim Campbell is going to come and to lead us uh, in our act of communion. We're just uh, reorganizing ourselves a little bit. We come now to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And before we begin, we want each one of you to, who wishes to take part to make sure you have a little cup. Uh, raise your hand if you haven't got one and someone from the back will, will bring you a cup. Uh, and when I come to the point in the service where I say take eight this is the body of Christ. Remove the very top little layer of cellophane so that you can uh, get to the unleavened bread. And then when I say drink this cup, you can remove the second layer uh, to get to the wine. So with those words in mind, we come now to the table of our Lord. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst.
Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. This is the Lord's table. I invite all of you who love the Lord Jesus in sincerity and truth to join together now as members of the one family in Jesus Christ. And in this sacrament, of course, we remember that our Lord Jesus died upon the cross for our salvation. And so we sing a hymn that reminds us of the greatness of God's love in Christ for each of us. And so we now sing, Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Let us praise him. Let's listen to the words of institution of our Lord's Supper as they recorded for us in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. This is what Paul writes. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us now follow the example of our Lord Jesus. Please take the bread and wine in your hand. We take this bread and wine on which to feast and to remember Christ. And as he began by giving thanks to the Father, let us bow before God. Let us pray. It is our duty and delight, Lord God, our Father, to give you thanks and praise for all that you have done for the world. Our hearts are full of gratitude to you because you loved the world so much that you gave your only Son so that everyone who trusts in him may not die but have everlasting life. We thank you that Jesus was born among us, that he lived our common life on earth, that he suffered and died for us, that he rose again and is always present now through the Holy Spirit. Remembering these things, we celebrate once again the supper of our Lord. We pray that despite our sins and doubts, the Holy Spirit may transform what we are doing, so that as we eat this bread and drink this wine, we may share in the eternal life of Christ. We thank you that we do not celebrate this supper alone, but in company with all your people, past, present, and to come. And with them and with all creation, we praise you and say, Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Glory be to you, O Lord Most High. We praise you for the new covenant sealed by Christ's blood for the forgiveness of our sins, for the gift of new life, 
We therefore set before you this bread and this wine as the thank offering of your people. We thank you that in your fatherly mercy and by our Lord's provision and with the help of the Holy Spirit, these elements may be the means by which we remember Christ's sacrifice and share in his body and blood. And Jesus has given us the confidence and the longing to offer ourselves a living sacrifice, dedicated and fit for your acceptance. May your kingdom come, and your will be done, in and through us all. Amen. Let us now keep the feast. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take, eat, the body of Christ, broken for you. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. So drink in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you. And be thankful. The peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that once again you have fed us with the bread of life. Strengthen for your service, Lord, the hands that have taken holy things today. May our ears that have heard your word be deaf to gossip and dispute. May our tongues that have sung your praise be free from scandal and deceit. May our eyes that have seen the symbols of your love shine with the light of hope. We thank you for our fellowship with you and with each other today. We thank you that nothing can separate us from your love in Jesus Christ. To whom, with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, be glory and praise, now and forever. Amen. And so let us stand and express our gratitude to God as we sing our concluding hymn, My Heart is filled with thankfulness to him who bore my pain, who plumbed the depths of my disgrace and gave me life again. Let us praise him. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord and the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon each one of you this day and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>